This is a Faith FM podcast. You're listening to The Faith Experiment with Robbie Bergen, right across Australia, right here on Faith FM. Hello there and thanks again for joining me. I'm Robbie Bergen and you're listening to The Faith Experiment. This is episode 9 of The Faith Experiment and I'm calling this episode The Terrorist Behind the War. If you're new to The Faith Experiment, this is a show about exploring faith and making it practical so you can experiment with it. I've been sharing with you my own personal journey as I started to experiment with faith. This show is not just about books and theories and artifacts, it's about real life. And so I've been sharing with you how I went from a non-believer to becoming a faith experimenter. If this is your first time tuning in to The Faith Experiment, I would love to hear from you today. Where are you listening to The Faith Experiment from right now? Let me know by texting me on 0488-45311 or you can email me on robbie at faithfm.com.au or leave me a message on the Faith FM Facebook page. Now on this episode, I have a great book which I think is really going to help anybody who wants to understand Bible prophecy. This book is called Decoding Bible Prophecy. This is a book about understanding what those Bible prophets said, especially the apocalyptic prophets such as Daniel and John, who wrote the book Revelation. This book's going to help you to know how to read these prophecies, how to make sense of some difficult passages in the Bible, and you'll learn principles of interpretation. You'll learn the meaning of a number of apocalyptic symbols and important hints in regarding major time prophecies. So stick around and get the code word during the show. You'll need to text the code word to 0488845311. So save the number in your phone now, 0488845311, and wait for the code word to claim this amazing little book. Well, on the last episode, What Does God Want?, I shared with you how in this journey since 911, I had discovered so many things. My mind had been exposed to concepts and ideas and insights that it was impossible to ever go back from. I'd gone from exploring the prophecies of the ancient Hebrew prophet Daniel to studying the major worldviews and religions. I'd examined the religious and holy texts of these world religions. I'd found a description of God and his characteristics and attributes. And these mirrored the very thing that I was looking for in life. I discovered a tangible and testable way to test the claims of these holy texts, prophecy. And I had held up these texts for scrutiny and had found that only the Hebrew manuscripts contained a reliable and dependable source of prophecy, which time and time again has stunned even the experts. And I left you in the last episode with that scene, that as I was trying to understand what did God want, I realized that it was not what God wanted, it was who he wanted. And by digging through those various books and passages of these ancient Hebrew texts, I came to the realization that God wanted me. Now, if you missed any of the previous episodes and you want to catch up on some of the details, go ahead and get the Faith FM app from your app store or go to faithfm.com.au and look under the podcast section for The Faith Experiment. 
I'm also pretty excited that the Faith Experiment is now on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts, and on Google Podcasts. So wherever you listen to great material, you should be able to find the Faith Experiment right now. I had been on a quest since 911 to understand these events that were changing my world. We were all living now in what was being called a post 911 world. Governments were now executing large scale population surveillance for the safety of the citizen. In the weeks following the terrorist attacks on our nation, I authorized the National Security Agency, consistent with U.S. law and the Constitution, to intercept the international communications of people with known leaks, links to Al-Qaeda and related terrorist organizations. This is a highly classified program that is crucial to our national security. A new Department of Homeland Security was also created in the United States. This department became responsible for anti-terrorism tasks as well as national security and disaster prevention. This department was growing exponentially since its creation, becoming the third largest federal cabinet department. The Homeland Security Act of 2002 takes the next critical steps in defending our country. The continuing threat of terrorism, the threat of mass murder on our own soil, will be met with a unified, effective response. Dozens of agencies charged with Homeland Security will now be located within one cabinet department with the mandate and legal authority to protect our people. America will be better able to respond to any future attacks, to reduce our vulnerability, and most important, prevent the terrorists from taking innocent American lives. The Department of Homeland Security will have nearly 170,000 employees. After September 11, 2001, the Bush administration ramped up its deportation efforts and increased immigration restrictions in a response to the attacks. According to ABC News, deportations doubled. Today, the Department of Homeland Security revealed it's begun using unmanned Israeli reconnaissance planes along the U.S. border with Mexico. It's the latest sign of increased activity by American immigration authorities who have stepped up raids and deportations of undocumented immigrants throughout the Southwest. On April 15, Operation Mountain Lion takes place in coordination with U.S. forces, Australian SAS and other coalition special forces aimed to take control of regions in Afghanistan that were controlled by Al-Qaeda and Taliban fighters. As part of the coalition offensive, an Australian Special Operations Task Group operating out of the town of Tarankot was ordered to conduct an operation into the Shah Wali Kot Valley through which a section of the supply line ran to disrupt Taliban activity in the area, being inserted by several CH-47 Chinook helicopters onto a landing zone in the valley. And by October 16, the Iraq Resolution is enacted after being passed by the United States Congress, authorizing military action against Iraq. Members of both houses, both political parties, have deliberated with care. And they have spoken with clarity on behalf of the American people. We will face our dangers squarely, and we will face them unafraid. With this resolution, Congress has now authorized the use of force, and Iraq's combination of weapons of mass destruction and ties to terrorist groups, and ballistic missiles would threaten the peace and security of many nations. 
Those who choose to live in denial may eventually be forced to live in fear. Every nation that shares in the benefits of peace also shares in the duty of defending the peace. The United States takes the resolutions of the Security Council seriously. We urge other nations to do the same. We're working to build the broadest possible coalition to enforce the demands of the world on the Iraqi regime. I've told all the members of the United Nations, America will play its historic role in defeating aggressive tyranny. And on November 8, the United Nations Security Council unanimously adopted Resolution 1441, offering Saddam Hussein's regime a final opportunity to comply with its disarmament obligations. And Australia also aligns itself with the Americans and the Coalition of the Willing. When US forces invaded Iraq, Australian troops were right behind. We are determined to join other countries to deprive Iraq of its weapons of mass destruction. The war on terror was raging. Life had become changed on every front. And as the year 2002 was coming to an end, more redundancies were taking place at the office. Nothing in my department, but the rumours were that big changes were coming to our core business. But we would be alright. After all, the IT department was considered an essential service. But everyone was asking, who's the real terrorist behind this war? Was it really Osama bin Laden? Or could it be Saddam Hussein? Or was it, as some were saying, the United States of America themselves? Was this an inside job? Well, we have to take a short break now, but when we come back, we'll continue with my faith experiment as we explore who or what is the real terrorist behind the war. And don't forget to stick around to get today's code word for the book Decoding Bible Prophecy. We'll be right back after this with The Faith Experiment. You're listening to The Faith Experiment with Robbie Bergen. Right across Australia, right here on Faith FM. Connect with us via text message on 4 That's 4 Or send an email to robbie at faithfm.com.au.
The Faith Experiment with Robbie Bergen. Right across Australia, right here on Faith FM. Listen live or listen later. Get the Faith FM app from your app store today. Welcome back to The Faith Experiment. I'm your host, Robbie Bergen, and this is episode nine. And I'm calling this episode The Terrorist Behind the War. Now, remember, I have a great resource You have to have it if you want to study Bible prophecy. It's a little book called Decoding Bible Prophecy. So stick around to get the code word during the show. You'll need to text it to 0488-453-11. So say the number in your phone, 0488-453-11, and wait for today's code word. We're talking about the terrorist behind the war. And before the break, I shared with you how the world was obsessed with the war on terror, and everyone had a theory on who was the terrorist behind the war. We could all see that virtually every person on earth, regardless of their race, culture, education or belief, understood that our world is immersed in some kind of battle between the forces of good and evil. Everyone, from presidents and kings to the average person on the street, could see that this struggle was being played out every day right before our eyes. It seemed that this quest was a struggle for the supremacy of contrasts, kind of like oppression versus freedom or truth versus error or right versus wrong and ultimately life versus death. Terrorism had become the anthem for our generation. Every continent on earth was plagued with fears of terrorism. But in light of everything that I had learnt, all that I was discovering in these ancient texts and manuscripts, it was like there were two different realities or two different worlds. After all, this God with these attributes and characteristics that were so appealing and so desirable, they were at odds with everything I had experienced in life. And the promise of a world without pain, without suffering, without hurt, without death. No one I knew could relate to this. So how do these two worlds fit together? Where did this battle of contrast come from? And are today's fears of terrorism simply because of radical Islamic terrorists? Or was there something more to this story? I'd found that religions, including the Bible, taught that Beyond the three-dimensional physical world in which we live, 
there is a very real supernatural and spiritual realm. Could it be that every moment of every day there was a conflict being fought out in this supernatural realm? These thoughts raised many questions for me, like, where did this conflict of opposing forces begin? What was the reason? Who are the major players? And what's our role in all of this? And this led me to think, well, why is there evil in this world today? How can a God that is so good allow such evil to take place? Where is the justice? And will this struggle ever end? And the ultimate question is, who or what is the real terrorist behind this war? You know, through the pages of history, there are numerous accounts of war and terrorism. In fact, every human being has at some point experienced conflict. But where did this come from? To try and understand this origin of terror and evil, I went back to these ancient Hebrew and Greek manuscripts. I wanted to see if these texts, which now had my full attention, I mean, these texts claim that God was their author and prophecy was given as an evidence. And as I checked out the prophecies time and time again, I had to admit I'm dealing with something supernatural. And so I went back to see what these texts taught. And starting with God, this is what I found. I found that as I looked at that quote, which I've shared numerous times so far, from the prophet Isaiah, where he quotes God as saying, I am the Lord and there is none else. There is no God beside me. It seemed that there had to be a point in time when God declared who and what he is by describing his characteristics. And these ancient texts reveal that God is the eternal. He has no beginning. He has no end. He transcends time. They reveal that he is almighty, that he is the essence of love, that he is the source of life. He is the definition of truth. It says that God is peaceful, he's joyful, he's patient, he's gentle, he's full of goodness, and he's meek. Now, when God defined himself as these things, it makes sense that at the exact same time, he also automatically creates the definition of everything which is opposite to himself. For example, there's a text in the same book, the book of Isaiah, which says, quoting God, I form the light and create darkness. I make peace and create evil. I, the Lord, do all these things. Now, this verse indicates that everything which is opposite to God is outside of the realm of his character. For example, when God defines himself by saying, I am what love is, he's actually also automatically at the same time defining the concept of what is not love, or we could call it hate, if you wanted to think of hate as being the opposite of love. Now, this is true for all of his characteristics. Think of it like this. On my sheet of paper, I had a circle, which I labeled as being God. And on the inside of that circle, I wrote all the attributes and characteristics I could find that God states about him being him. Now, as God proclaims each of his characteristics, a theoretical definition of the opposite had to have been created at the same time by default. And so, on the outside of the circle, 
for each of the attributes and characteristics I wrote on the inside of the circle, I wrote down the opposite. For example, when I wrote down the attribute of love on the inside of the circle, I wrote hate on the outside of the circle. When I wrote truth on the inside of the circle, I wrote error or lie on the outside of the circle. Very quickly, on the outside of my God circle, I had things like hate, error, wrong, death, fear, sadness, bad, despair, darkness, impatience, and many more. Now, this was remarkable as I sat there looking at my sheet of paper with my circle representing God and all the God-like characteristics on the inside, and now all the opposites on the outside, three things hit me. The first was this, that everything on the inside, all of these revealed characteristics of God, when I look closely at each one of them, I notice that every single characteristic stems from a single core value of love. Which is remarkable because later in my journey, I discovered that there's this text in the Bible that actually says that God is love. Which, as you'll see later, becomes fundamental to my journey. The second thing that stood out was that even though, as I've already shared, I was unknowingly looking for and searching for these characteristics which are inside the circle, I actually had a better knowledge of all of these characteristics which were outside of the circle. These negative opposites. These were my reality. Fear, pain, death, sadness, despair. This was my reality. But how is this even possible? Why is this? Why is it that everyone I know knows more about pain and death and suffering and lies and sadness and despair and fear, which is on the outside of the circle? I mean, if this God does exist and he is the only God, then why? Why do we live in a world filled with fear, pain, terror and death? The third thing that stood out to me as I looked at my paper with this circle was the circle itself, or perhaps more importantly, the line of the circle. This line was literally the dividing line between what we experience and what we desire. We're on the wrong side of this line, which based on my rough diagram, this problem-solving illustration, I was on the wrong side of God. I was on the outside of the circle, away from God. Well, it's that time again. We need to take a short break, but when we come back, I'll continue with my quest to find out who or what is the real terrorist behind the war. And coming up is today's code word for the book Decoding Bible Prophecy. We'll be right back after this with The Faith Experiment. The Faith Experiment is made possible because of people like you. If you enjoy what we are doing, please consider supporting us by making a donation on our website at faithfm.com.au slash donate. When peace like a river attendeth my way When sorrows like sea Whatever my 
to The Faith Experiment with Robbie Bergen right across Australia, right here on Faith FM. Welcome back to The Faith Experiment. I'm Robbie Bergen and this is episode 9 of The Faith Experiment and I'm calling this episode The Terrorist Behind the War. Coming up is today's code word for the book called Decoding Bible Prophecy. If you want it, Save the number 048-8845311 into your phone and text the code word as soon as you hear it. Now, before the break, I was sharing with you how I discovered that as God defines who he is by describing his characteristics and attributes, he actually at the same time defines and describes the opposite of who and what he is. For example, when God says he is love... He is the essence of love. Everything that is not of God is not love, and therefore we could say it's the opposite. When God says he is the essence of truth, something that is a lie or an error is not of God. And so for each of these characteristics that God describes himself with, we have been given a theoretical description of what God is not. And as I shared with you, the difference between who God is and what God is not is separated by that line, the line of the circle. And that line represents a dividing between who God is and what God is not. Now, let me pause here for a moment. I'm sure that for most of you, you can picture a circle in your own mind and picture this scene of writing out these words inside the circle and then the opposites and so on. But if you're like me who is very visual, sometimes it's a bit hard to listen 
to this being described. So what I want to do, I want to do something special for you today. I'm going to give you the opportunity to see what it is that I'm talking about. If you would like to text the word circle, so nothing else, no full stops, no starts, nothing, just the word circle. Text the word circle to 04888-45311, 04888-45311. Text the word circle, and I will send you a picture of what it is that I'm talking about with the circle with God, with the descriptions and the descriptions outside. So you can visualize what it is that I'm talking about. Now, this line, this line between what and who God is and what and who he is not, it really got my attention. You see, as I look at this diagram, a circle on a sheet of paper, inside a list of attributes like love, good, true, eternal, joy, right, peace, life, and then you see on the outside of the circle, hate, bad, evil, error, sadness, wrong, fear, death, temporal. It's very evident that all of humanity has more experience with the negative attributes, which are outside of who and what God is, than what it is that he described himself as. Is this why every worldview agrees that humanity is in some sort of fallen state? And that we're all in need of a restoration or a salvation or some kind of deliverance. But this is a bit confusing when you start thinking about it. Because I'd already found that every world religion taught that humanity came from God. I mean, the ancient Chinese taught that Shangdi, or God, made heaven, he made earth, and he made man. In the Hebrew text, it says that God made man in his image after his likeness. And at the end of the week of creation, the Hebrew texts say that God saw everything he had made, and it was very good. There's no hint, there's no indication that anything negative, anything bad, or anything evil, or anything destructive existed when God or Shangdi had created everything. So what is this line, and how did humanity cross it? That's when I came across the word transgression. This word literally means to act or to cross the law. In the Greek New Testament, there's a verse that reads this way. It says, whoever commits sin transgresses also the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. So, sin is the crossing of the law. This line, my my circle this was the law, a boundary between what God was and what he was not. And somehow humanity had crossed over this line and had crossed over this law. Now, I found that this law, which is also referenced to as commandments, was described in the Hebrew book of Psalms as being the definition of righteousness. It says this in Psalm 119, verse 172. It says, My tongue shall speak of your word, for all your commandments are righteousness. So, in crossing this line, it's called transgression, to cross it. Or it's called sin, which is breaking the law. And the law is righteousness. And according to these biblical texts, righteousness is a description of the character of God himself. Now, there was one account in the Greek New Testament Gospels where Jesus is asked a question by a lawyer regarding the law. 
The story is recorded in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 22, verse 36. And this is what it says. Master, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said unto him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Here Jesus is teaching that the basis of the commandments or the law is love to God and love to humanity, or in one word, love. So then crossing this line or transgressing or sinning is actually crossing love. Or you can say this, sin is the opposite of God-like love. Instead of love going outward to others, it's love going inward to yourself. So, could this explain the foundation of every one of the characteristics that I wrote outside of the circle? The opposites to what God described himself as? If God's character is based on love, a selfless love, then could it be that all the opposites could be based on selfish love? For example, you hate because something has crossed you. We are normally bad because we want something at a cost of someone or something else. We're evil for the same reason, and the list goes on. And so I started to see that this was really a contrast between two kinds of love, selfless love and selfish love. And the line between was the law or the commandments. As long as you are on the inside of the circle, behind the line or the law, you had the image and likeness of God. If you transgressed and crossed over or sinned, now you would be opposite to God. And instead of being selfless, you we become selfish. So how did this crossover take place? After all, all the world religions put us at the beginning being in the image of God. To answer this, I had to go back, back in the storyline of these ancient manuscripts. And what I found was amazing. You see, once God defined himself, the manuscripts teach that he set out to begin a work of creation. Not the creation that you might think, not the creation of this earth. The manuscripts explain that among some of the first creative acts of God, these first creations were called angels. It says in the old Hebrew book of Psalms, chapter 48, verse 2, it says, Praise ye him, all his angels. Praise ye him, all his hosts. Praise ye him, sun and moon. Praise him, all ye stars of light. Praise him, ye heavens of heavens, and ye waters that are above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for he commanded, and they were created. Now, the story goes on that among the numerous amounts of created angels, God specifically chose one to serve as a covering angel, which means that he had access to the throne room of God. It says in Ezekiel chapter 28, verse 13, You have been in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering. The sardis, the topaz, the diamond, the beryl, the onyx, the jasper, the sapphire, the emerald, the cubuncle, and gold. The workmanship of your timbrels were in your pipes on the day that you were created. You were the anointed cherub that covers. 
and I have set you so. You were upon the holy mountain of God. You have walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. You were perfect in all your ways from the day that you were created. This angel, like everything God created, was created perfect. He, along with every other creation, were created in the likeness of God in respect to the character. However, it seems that as time went by, something changed deep within this angel. It continues in Ezekiel chapter 28. You were perfect in all your ways from the day that you were created until iniquity was found in you. Iniquity was found in this angel. Iniquity is another word for unrighteousness or sin. This implies that within the heart of this perfect angel, characteristics which are opposite to God's were found. But how did this happen? Well, the manuscript of Isaiah explains it this way. It says, How are you fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How are you cut down to the ground who weakened the nations? For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also on the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. This angel, Lucifer, turned the godlike characteristic of love, which is always loving outwardly to others selflessly. He took this selfless love and he turned it around to himself, and thereby creating the first example of selfish love. With this lifting up of Lucifer's heart above all the other angels, above God himself, Lucifer became the first created being to transgress or to cross over that line of righteousness, which separates what God is from what God is not. And by doing so, the texts state that Lucifer sinned. There is a Greek manuscript. It's actually more in the form of a letter, and it's called 1 John. And in chapter 3 of this letter... Speaking of this angel Lucifer, it says this, He that commits sin is of the devil, for the devil sinned from the beginning. This was amazing. You see, every worldview, although they reference the devil or Satan, they offer no real explanation for his existence, with the exception of the Hebrew and Greek manuscripts of what we call the Bible. The Bible's account of this figure is found in numerous places and provides amazing insights into who he is and how he came into existence. Lucifer took the definition of what is sin and what is the theoretical opposite of God and he turned it into a reality. He took something that was only theoretically possible and by choosing to transgress, to cross the boundary of the righteousness of God, Lucifer made sin a very real and physically tangible thing. With every act of sin, there is a conscious decision to cross over or go against the righteousness and the selflessness of God. This is, in essence, redirecting godlike love from going out to others and pointing it back toward ourselves. And so it is with sin that Lucifer chose to leave all that God is and enter into all that God is not. And as a result, Lucifer, leaving the nature of God by repelling himself through selfish love, the manuscripts of the Bible teach that the wages or the consequence of this sin is death. This is because by nature, sin is the opposite of God. And so the result of sin will automatically and always be death. 
death's not a punishment of God for those who wish to sin. Death is the natural result of those who wish to sin. When Lucifer decided to leave God, who is the source of life, the only other option for him was to inherit death. I was starting to see that just as there are laws that govern the physical realm, like the laws of motion or the laws of gravity, there seem to be these laws which are also governing a spiritual realm, an unseen realm. And although the expression of these laws may appear differently through different periods or different times in these ancient manuscripts, at their core they're based upon the same principle, love. Love to God and love to the fellow created being. Lucifer broke both of these principles in the course of his rebellion. He lifted himself up against God and he lifted himself up against every other being in heaven. This places God's spiritual law, which really is nothing other than his character, at the central issue in this great rebellion. And from this point on, God's law becomes the object of attack. Well, it's time to take a short break now, but when we come back, we will continue with my quest to understand who or what is behind the war on terror. And coming up after the break is today's code word for the book I'm giving away today called Decoding Bible Prophecy. We'll be right back after this with The Faith Experiment. If you have enjoyed this episode of The Faith Experiment, please help us get the word out by sharing our podcast with your friends and family. And don't forget to like us on Facebook. Bring my heart and seek you. 
The Faith Experiment with Robbie Bergen, right here on Faith FM. Welcome back to The Faith Experiment. I'm Robbie Bergen, and this is episode nine of The Faith Experiment, and I'm calling this episode The Terrorist Behind the War. And coming up is today's code word for the book called Decoding Bible Prophecy. Now, I've been sharing with you how I discovered that the raw substance of God is love. And not just any love, but selfless love. And that when you contrast the characteristics of God with that which we experience on a daily basis, what we know can be summarized as selfish love. And while trying to understand how most of my experiences in life have been with these selfish characteristics, I discovered a backstory of an angel called Lucifer who was the first to rebel against God, and he brought the theoretical possibility of selfishness into a very real and tangible existence. But how did a backstory, which is described as taking place in heaven, how did this become an earth problem? How did this become my problem? I found in a Greek New Testament manuscript called Matthew, or the Gospel of Matthew. I found in chapter 13 and verse 24 a story where Jesus tells a parable. And a parable is basically a a story that illustrates some sort of spiritual virtue or spiritual truth. And this is what he said. He says, Another parable he put forth to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while the man slept... His enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the grain had sprouted and produced a crop, then the tares also appeared. So the servants of the owner came and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? He said to them, An enemy has done this. The servants said to him, Do you want us then to go and gather them up? But he said, No, lest while you gather up the tares, you also uproot the wheat with them. Let them both grow together until the harvest, and at the time of harvest I will say to the reapers, First gather together the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat 
into my barn. Now, Jesus goes on himself to explain what the spiritual lesson from this parable is. It says that he answered and said, He who sows the good seed is the Son of Man. The field is the world. The good seeds are the sons of the kingdom, but the tares are the sons of the wicked one. The enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the world, and the reapers are the angels. Therefore, as the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so will it be at the end of the world. Now this agrees perfectly with the Genesis account. According to Jesus, the one who planted the weeds was an enemy. And in Matthew chapter 13, Jesus identifies this enemy when he says that the enemy that sowed is the devil. Here is the essential point. Jesus confirms what Genesis describes, namely that God made things very good after the likeness of his own character. According to Jesus, the devil is not only the one who has ruined things, but he's also described as an enemy or an adversary. According to Jesus, the bad things in this world are the result of the devil. But the question that needs to be answered is, where did the devil come from? In the Greek manuscript of Luke, in chapter 10, in verse 18, it quotes Jesus as saying this. Jesus says, I saw Satan or the devil, falling like lightning from heaven. So according to Jesus, Satan or the devil is originally from heaven. This is the same character that we were talking about before the break, Lucifer. In the book Revelation, I found more details. It says in chapter 12 that there was a war in heaven. And Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought and his angels, and prevailed not. Neither was their place found any more in heaven. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. As the war between Lucifer and God continues, Lucifer begins to display more and more of a character which is polar opposite to that of God's. And as a result, there's no longer any way for him to continue to dwell in heaven, a place which is based upon the perfect law of selfless love. And so Lucifer, or Satan as he's now called at this point in the story, he turns his attentions to earth. And it's this being who has come down to us with great wrath, seeking to deceive the whole world. It's Lucifer, who is known as the devil, who is behind every pain, every sorrow, every hurt, every death, every war. These ancient manuscripts were clear. The real terrorist behind the war was not Saddam Hussein or Osama bin Laden. It was Lucifer, the fallen angel. But how did earth come into this rebellion? Why do we have the effects of this rebellion, these effects of sin here? Why is there suffering here? And as I sat there looking at this circle, the circle of the characteristics of God, and then these rebellious, selfish characteristics on the outside of this circle, and with this backstory of Lucifer being the one who brought all of these negative attributes and characteristics into a tangible reality. As I sat there looking at that, I realized 
I had more experience with the character of Lucifer than with the character of God. How was it that I came to be more like this master terrorist than like the Creator God? Next time on The Faith Experiment, I'll continue to take you on my personal faith experiment and how I went from a non-believer to a faith experimenter and how I found my purpose. Now, as I mentioned at the top of the show, I have this great book called Decoding Bible Prophecy. This is a book about understanding what the Bible prophets said, especially the apocalyptic prophets of Daniel and John. This book is about knowing how to read these prophecies and make sense of some difficult passages in the Bible. So if you'd like to get your free copy of today's gift, all you need to do is to text the code word PROPHECY to 04888-45311 and the Faith FM giveaway bot will reply asking for your details. So text the code word PROPHECY to 04888-45311. Well, now it's time for this week's inbox. This is where I browse through the inbox and share your comments, feedback, and questions. First up, I have an email here from Bonnie who is asking the question, I was listening to Faith FM the other day and I heard something about the three angels. Would you please explain this subject as I have not heard it before? Thank you and God bless. Well, thank you, Bonnie, for the question. Um, You're in luck. I'm going to be talking about the three angels specifically in a, a couple of weeks from now. So... I'll try and shoot you an email when it gets closer so you know when it's going to be on air. But uh, stay tuned to The Faith Experiment. We'll be touching on three angels in the not-too-distant future. And I have a text here from Nigel who says, God bless you, Robbie, and your gift of analytical research that God has obviously given you. Thank you so much, Nigel. Very kind words. Um, God has blessed abundantly in this journey of exploring faith. Well, thank you all for your feedback. I really do appreciate it. You can text me your comments and feedback on 04888845311 or email me on robbie at faithfm.com.au. I'd love to hear from you. Well, that's all for now. I'll catch you next week at the same time right here on Faith FM for the next episode of The Faith Experiment. I'll see you then. You have been listening to The Faith Experiment with Robbie Bergen. Connect with us via text message on 04888845311. That's 04888845311. Or send an email to robbie at faithfm.com.au and let us know what you thought of this episode.